Welcome to Signs from the Other Side with Fern Rone. I'm your host, Fern Rone, and this is the place to share stories of signs and messages received from the other side. This is season five, and there will be a new episode every Tuesday until the end of 2020. Be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And if you love these stories, also be sure to join my private Facebook group. Just search Believers in Signs. And if you like to read and you like stories like Bridget Jones, but with signs and meetings with Spirit Incorporated, check out my novels, Better in the Morning and Better Believe It. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to me, you can find me on all social media at Fern Rone, R-O-N-A-Y, and on my website, fernrone.com. Thank you so much for listening and on to the show. Corey Skolnick is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of the novels Orphan, the story of Jimmy Dean, a resilient adoptee, and America's Most Eligible, the story of an ambitious young writer trying to uncover what's true in pretentious Southern California. 40 years ago, Corey was going through a divorce and was not a believer in the things we discuss on this podcast, but then something changed that which we will discuss. Hi, Corey. Hi, Jennifer. So nice of you to have me. I'm so excited. So we know each other through the writing community and on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook. And I was doing the research for this podcast. You did an interview with Lost Daughters. And this quote is so perfect. You said, no life is without loss and grief. Your existential duty requires that you seek healing and persist in hope. Seek healing and persist in hope. I was like, can I steal that as the tagline for this podcast? Do you mind? Absolutely. <laughs> you can steal. You can officially steal anything I've ever said or written. <laughs> oh, no, that's so generous. Thank you so much. Seek healing and persist in hope. It's just so perfect. And I love it. And it's what I'm trying to do here. And I thank you so much for being here. But like everything, it's always best to start at the beginning. And lucky for me, you've given some great interviews that I was able to read and really get your full bio. And I love that you grew up in the south side of Chicago in the 1950s, where you describe it as the quintessential 1950s. Like, I picture all of the moms kind of in like A-line dresses and pearls vacuuming. (laughs) Was that what it was like? (laughs) Well, there were probably a couple of those, but mostly it was a very blue collar neighborhood. And a lot of because because at the time, if you worked for the city, if you were a city employee, you had to live inside the city limits. Mm. So there were a lot of cops, a lot of firemen, a lot of people who worked for the school district. And it wasn't so much a white collar neighborhood, but there were a few people whose parents had, you know, worked downtown, took the train downtown and worked for insurance companies or whatever. Probably more clerical work, though, than any any professionals. I, I don't remember anybody having a, a dad who was a doctor or a dentist or, mm. you know, a therapist or anything like that. It sounds very much like my town growing up in the 1980s in New Jersey it was, you know, like I kind of grew up in a suburb of Newark in New Jersey. And that's exactly what it it sounds. It wasn't very diverse and it was very um, blue collar. And, and yeah, it sounds very similar. It's amazing that Orphan starts in Illinois in 1969. And it is, if anyone just reads the first paragraph, they'll be hooked. It really takes you there. And you lived through, you've really lived through all of the all the history. So you lived, (laughs) 
You're the 60s. Well, I guess you can say that about anybody who lives this long. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but I feel like you were really where the action was. It just feels like it. And it feels like you really internalized it and, and grew from it. I just love that orphan. You really, when you read it, it really takes you into that world. Did you know many nuns growing up? Our neighborhood was, I used to call it Little Belfast. It was the the Catholics and the Protestants. And that was it. That was it. Everybody was white. And so our awareness of the other as children was mm-hmm. really the Catholics. If you were Protestant, the other was, were the Catholics. And there was one parochial school, one Catholic elementary school, and one um, public school. So everybody either went to the the Catholic school or the public school, and everybody was aware of Mm -hmm. who everybody was. Hmm. So when people, sometimes when people will say to me, gee, in in Northern Ireland, how did you, how could you just look at somebody and know whether they were Catholic or Protestant? And I said, I get that. I know, I know, you know, (laughs) because everybody knew. (laughs) I don't know how. It was was weird. So we, if we didn't go to the Catholic school ourselves, we knew kids who did because they blended us on Friday nights for like sock hops and social centers and stuff mm. like that. So everybody knew each other. And then we all went to the same high school. So we knew the stories of the nuns, even if we didn't have nuns as teachers. Uh-huh. We, okay. We got the story secondhand. And it's so interesting that, that you all knew each other and you were all labeled, like labeled Catholic or Protestant because a theme of orphan, and I know you said you describe it as it's not a great book. It is a great book. I'm sorry to tell you. It is, it is amazing. And and the theme of Orphan is that Jimmy Dean is so affected by, you know, he labels himself Orphan and and that the damage that that does to having a label on you. So I think it's so interesting that you grew up and everyone was labeled and what that does to the psyche. Yeah, it does. It does. If we're aware of it. And mm-hmm. some people n- never really become aware of it. And then I think, I think that hampers their growth and their development. So you married your high school sweetheart. Was he Protestant? Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. So you, your parents approved? Oh, I think they, they were more, <laughs> we didn't really, you know, it was, it was 1969. We didn't want to get married. We just wanted to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> But in 69, you couldn't really do that. You would be, you know, you'd be a trollop. You, or my mm-hmm. mother had all these words for fallen <laughs> women. So you were a chippy or a trollop or, you know. And so we, you know, we did what we had to do so that we could, you know, legitimize the act. And mm-hmm. um, I was 18. So way too young to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they were, they were, my mother was probably relieved that I didn't get in trouble because that was the worst thing that a girl could do at that, you know, in those mm-hmm. days. And this is pre-Roe v. Wade. I have friends, much younger friends, who eventually, you know, some of them did get pregnant in their very young teens. And it was a simple, you know, medical procedure for them to just, you know, go off to the doctor and have an abortion. But they have no comprehension of what it was like for our generation. It, there was That wasn't even an option. So back then, if you got pregnant, the only option besides getting married and raising this child was you had to give up you had to like what happened in the first scene in orphan and there's kind of 
transaction that happens and your baby is taken away and that was it. Right. Or, or you could attempt an illegal abortion. Right. And, and then infection and, and death from that and who knows what else. Yeah. Right. Right. So sad. Um, so you got married at 18 and you moved to California. Right. You never had a desire to go back to Illinois. Well, I go back, uh, you know, I go back all the time because I, I have family back there too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I love Chicago. I love the, the yeah. city, but I could, I don't think I could, number one, the weather is just, uh -huh. <laughs> but also it's still, it's a very, very segregated city. Mm -hmm. And there's still a lot, you know, you, you read about all the, the racial tension that's going on now. I'm, that has not changed. That was, mm -hmm. that was how we grew up. Uh, Martin Luther King called my neighborhood the most racist place he'd ever been, including mm -hmm. Mississippi. Wow. He went in, I think it was 1966. It was the year before he was assassinated in Tennessee. So he came to try to influence the city in changing the zoning laws mm -hmm. and tr to try he, he really wanted to integrate the city mm -hmm. and integrate the public transportation um, make sure that people could buy homes upwardly mobile mm -hmm. black families could move into white neighborhoods and not be harassed and that was his motivation and when he got there he found that it he just couldn't it just there was so much opposition and so much fear and so much hatred that he ultimately abandoned the project because he did march through the neighborhood, the, the park where mm -hmm. we all went to neck in cars. He marched through that, that park and was attacked with bottles and rocks. He had to be taken to the hospital himself. Oh my gosh. So, what, do you, what do you feel about what's going on now? You get the same energy as you did from the sixties. Um, even more now. I, yeah. um, I mean, currently working on a social justice project with one of my students, my former students, and she's, she's a writer, she's a cookbook writer, and we were on the phone one day just talking about what's going on all over the country and the, the protests up in Portland, and she knows that I used to live in Portland for a couple of years, and she told me that she, she's uh, got a, an African-American background, so she said to me, you know, I heard on, on maybe it was Oprah or Michelle Obama, one, one of the you know, premier black voices um, in feminism said, if you have a white girlfriend and your white girlfriend has never asked you, what's it like to live in your black skin in this country? She is not really your friend. And that sat me back on my heels a little bit. And I just said, hey, have I ever, have I ever asked you that? Have I ever you know, bothered to ask you that? And she said, well, I don't know if you asked me, but I tell you all the time. <laughs> so um, oh, that's we've so become in this project super close. And yeah. uh, it's real simple. All we do is we pair women up all over the country, one woman of African-American descent and one woman of European-American descent. So a white woman and a black woman. And uh -huh. all they have to do is have three conversations over a five-week period. It's very simple. What's the name of what, it? We're calling it We Talk because that's all we do. We uh -huh. talk. <laughs> and it's under the kind of under the umbrella of her nonprofit down in Texas, which is Leap, Learn, Live. And she ha it's an educational project for single moms. And she's dedicated to help these women out of 
systemic poverty by mm-hmm. teaching them skills, you know, and, and teaching them how to have a healthy life in all, in all realms. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is kind of housed under the social wellness realm okay. in her, in her project. But, you know, eventually we, we hope it will grow. We, our goal is to run a hundred women through the project by the end of this year. And we just started it last month. And oh, wow. then she would like to run, yeah, she wants to try to run a thousand women through the project by the end of next year. Oh, I love it. I'm going to put the, a link in the show notes. It's called, what is it called again? Live, Leap, Learn? Leap, Learn, Live. Okay. Got it backwards. Leap, and Learn, Live. hang up, I'll, I'll send you a, okay. uh, I'll send you a link to her, her website and a link to the, I'll, actually on Facebook, I'll send you an invitation to our next introduction. We're doing okay. on Zoom. We do every other week we do an introduction to the project. Nice. Okay. And I'll put a link in the show notes for sure. Great. So Great. didn't work out with the first guy. <laughs> I love how you said my first marriage was a casualty of the Vietnam War and of my own immaturity. You were only 18 when you got married. So you got out of that without having children, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I think now I think he was probably unable to have children. He did remarry pretty quick, and they never had children. Hmm. And we were not all that careful. So in retrospect, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, okay. So you could have been doing it that whole time, Corey, and not worry. <laughs> what did you know? I know. <laughs> what you don't know. <laughs> and then your second marriage, you're also very honest about that. You said you had, I had no business getting married to anyone, but I was impulsive and on the rebound, and that never works well. So true. And but you had your first child with him. Yeah, my That's daughter, who's now forty-two. So forty years ago, you were going through a divorce. What led you to go to a medium? Well, he, we both worked in advertising, and he was working at an ad agency down in Orange County. We lived in Laguna Beach, and his boss, the guy that owned the ad agency, he, he was also getting a divorce from his wife, his second wife. She and I became friends, and it was her idea to go do this. And I was very reluctant. I didn't want to go. I wasn't a believer, and and I thought, oh, this is you know a load of crap. <laughs> she said, look, it's oh, it, it's it's not that expensive. If we went out to dinner and went to a movie, I can remember clearly her kind of selling this. It, it would cost the same. So just come with me. Come. You'll you'll like it. It's fun. So I went on impulse, and oh man. <laughs> I don't know if I became a full-on believer in the mm. in the supernatural, but there were. I'll tell you the story, and you tell me if there aren't some compelling reasons to believe that wh- whatever that woman had, she had a gift. Okay. <laughs> it was 1980, and as I said, I was living in Laguna Beach, and my friend was living down in. Um, I think she was in Dana Point. So the the psychic was in Santa Ana. So we, we drove up to Santa Ana together, and she went in first for an hour session, and I waited in the waiting room, and then she came out, and she said, you know, your turn. I went in, and the woman, I'd never seen her before. She had never seen me. She didn't have any information about me, just my first name. That was it. She asked me for a piece of jewelry to hold or a piece of uh, some kind of metal object that I had in my pocket or my purse that she could hold, and I guess... What, what she does with that object is it, it brings her closer to the spirits or I don't even know. I didn't ask. Hmm. So I gave her my watch and she held on to my watch and 
the first thing she said is, oh, your, your marriage is ending. Hmm. And I, I, didn't, I don't even know how she knew I was married because I didn't have a wedding ring on. Hmm. I had no wedding ring. And she said, oh, things are going to be okay. She said, I want you to just, just, just know that things are going to be okay. Hmm. And, and, and that, that kind of hooked me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so after the whole session, she let me take notes. I had three pages of handwritten notes, all the things that she said, and she just rattled things off. And some of it was just stuff like, you're going to get, I see um, a dozen long stem red roses. Um, you're going to lose a significant piece of jewelry. Well, what woman hasn't gotten <laughs> long stem red roses and lost a significant piece of jewelry? So I was not, I was not impressed with that. <laughs> but I wrote it down and I kept going, kept going. And she said, on the, on the way out, or the very last thing she said to me was, now you can, uh, you can think about a person, any person in your life, and think a question, just think the question, just con contemplate an answer that you need about this person, and I will try to answer it for you. Now, that's pretty broad, but at the time, my daughter was two, and she had just had um, surgery to elongate a uh, shunt that she had had, uh, had to have implanted at birth. Oh. So, and of course, I was, you know, always worried about her all yeah, you know she, and she's yeah. this little two-year yeah two-year-old toddler this is a pretty you know the have the shunt put in is brain surgery so you have a neurosurgeon and then to have it elongated it's it's abdominal surgery so there's this little tiny little tyke with these major surgeries so I thought about her and I just thought about how, is she going to be okay you know, this is, you mm. know, some, some shunt patients don't do well. They mm. have 50, 60 more, more surgeries over a lifetime and oh they can God. die young. Yeah. yeah. It's serious. It's a serious thing. So I just thought about her and I thought about her health and she, and she, her eyes fluttered and she, you know, had this little, um, kind of like a shudder, her body shuddered. And she said, oh, that's confirmation from the universe. So I know this is right. And I said, okay. And she said, this is what you're thinking about is a plumbing problem. Hmm. And that's all it is. It's going to be fine. Stop worrying. It's just, it's going to be fixed and it's going to be fine. And I, uh, I thought about it and I said, okay, but you know, I thought she was way off the mark. Yeah. A month later, a month later, I'm in the neurosurgeon's office with my daughter and he's checking on her, her, you know, surgery, the surgery she had just had. And I, I think I asked him the question, you know, what can she look forward to? What, how is this going to affect the rest of her life? And he said to me, it's a plumbing problem. <sighs> I know, I know. <laughs> and I, I said, what? And he goes, yeah, this is just plumbing. This is just a matter of channeling the cerebrospinal fluid from the brain ventricles into the abdomen. It's nothing more than that. Don't freak yourself out. Okay? Okay, wow. that's just one. That's just one, Jennifer. Wow. The second one was so I I'm pretty I'm pretty, you know, like when she when she, when this happened, I was a, you know becoming a rapidly becoming a believer. <laughs> but back to the back to the session. So I'm in, in this leaving this marriage and as I'm walking out the door, she said, Oh, by the way, who's Paul? And I said, I I can't think of a single Paul I know. And she said, 
oh, no, somebody named Paul is going to be huge in your life. And I'm, I'm, I know, you know, well, my ex-husband, soon-to-be ex-husband's nephew is Paul. And she said, boy, I said, what is, am I going to have to adopt him or something? Or his parents <laughs> going to adopt She said, well, no, but, but close. I see, that, I see you living this, with this person and then being very meaningful in your life. And I just, you know, shrugged that off and went home, went about mm-hmm. my business. So years later, you know, several years later, it was like 1984, I guess, I was living with my present husband, my husband now that I've been married to for 36 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And we were moving from Laguna up to Santa Monica. And I was going through all my boxes that I had never unpacked and just kind of throwing stuff out as you do when you move. Mm. And I came across the three pages of notes from the I was going to say, where are they? Uh And I sat down and read those three pages of notes and I was astounded because my husband's name is Paul. (laughs) But that's not, that's not the best of it. The best of it was I had completely forgotten most of this stuff, but in the notes I had written involved with the law. So she said, you are going to remarry and you're going to remarry. I see you with a lot of papers, a lot of paperwork and helping him with his work. And I see, and she didn't connect that to the Paul thing. That yeah. was two separate things. Yeah. So she said, and I said, well, how is he, um, a, is he a lawyer? And she said, no, he's not a lawyer. Is he a judge? No, he's not a judge. Well, is he a cop? No, he's not a cop. And I said, well, who else works with the law? She goes, I don't know. I go, well, I don't know, maybe a probation officer. No, I don't, that's not it. Okay, so my husband's specialty in psychology is forensic psychology. He teaches psychology and the law. <laughs> Perfect. Man. Oh, yeah. Funny. And I had completely forgotten all of that stuff. But when I read, reread the notes, yeah. there it was. Yeah. Oh, that is perfect. Wow. So what do you make of that? So it's so funny because if she, you know, you, you walked in and she said, I, you're going through a divorce. And so a lot of people, I think, seek out psychics. They're, they just want answers. You know, they're so desperate for answers. And so often it could be like, is it something in your personal life, professional life? Is it family? But she buried the lead because I was thinking to myself, like, well, of course, like maybe it's like a someone's coming because they're going through a breakup, going through a divorce, but your daughter was going through it. Like the divorce was the least of it. Like, oh right. my goodness. So uh, it's so funny that that she picked up on on that because that was kind of like almost secondary. I think what your daughter's going through would have been top of mind for sure. The biggest worry. So some people might say like, of course, like everybody who goes to her is going through a breakup, but you were going through something even more major. And she did ultimately nail it. Wow. And I've never, you know, I do this podcast. I believe what I believe. I've never been to a psychic. I don't, I feel like you're not supposed to know what happens in the future. You're supposed to, otherwise you won't maybe learn all of the things you're supposed to learn to, for your soul to evolve. And if somebody, if I had gone to a psychic and they said, Paul, like every Paul I met, I'd be like, is this him? Is this, I would marry the wrong Paul possibly because I would be like every Paul I met, like who knew? Um, but I like the way she phrased it, that it wasn't like this is, he's just going to be important. So it was like perfect in the sense that you, the way she phrased it, you forgot about it. And then only then did you put it together. 
So I think she definitely has a gift. I think it's important to anybody who wants to see a psychic to to do their research and make sure they're legitimate. And because it's, it's you know, I, I don't want anyone to be swindled, but it sounds like she was on the money. And then the plumbing thing, I could have yeah. just burst into tears right now. If I was not on the phone with you, I would have just lost it. The fact that that word specifically, like that she said plumbing and he said plumbing, like what are the chances? I know, I know. That's 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 a that's a seller. Okay, now there's one tiny little element that I didn't tell you about is when I and then okay, so I went through that second divorce. I decided to sell my house and use the money to go back to school. So I took Mm -hmm. my daughter, we moved into a little tiny bedroom apartment. And, you know, we had been living in a five bedroom house in Laguna Beach. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I could be on the beach in a minute. So we really scaled back. I went back to school so I could, you know, do what I I always joke that every divorced woman in LA always, they go back to school to become a (laughs) marriage counselor because now they think they have all the answers. And that's exactly what I did. I, I was a person. <laughs> but when I was registering for classes in my second year back in school, I was going through, and this is the old days when before everything was online, I, it was a paper catalog, course catalog. And I was going through the courses and they don't list your first name in the course catalog when you're teaching. They just list your last name. And I saw this class and it was Tuesday, Thursdays at two o'clock. So it fit my schedule and the name of the instructor was Skolnick and I did not know who that was. Didn't know if it was a male or female, but something, some, and I don't get these things. I don't ever get these things, but Mm. something in that moment said, sign up for that class, take that class. Wow. And I could have not, I could, there's no way I could have not taken that class. It was so strong. It was such a powerful sense to do yeah. it and I took the class and that's how I met my husband Paul I love it <laughs> so so when she said that you I, I love that you forgot that like this Paul was supposed to mean something so when you met your Paul like that definitely didn't like yeah, yeah this is way before finding the notes and realizing that he yeah. was the Paul yeah. <laughs> oh it's so perfect how do you describe that feeling like that's always what I try to get in tune with and because I feel like those those feelings are coming I think they're coming from our spirit guides they're coming from our loved ones who've passed they're trying to help us get on the right path and and yes of course the happy ending you meet your husband but also leading you to the things that you're supposed to learn from so uh, how do you describe that feeling that it was so strong that you had to that it stopped you it wasn't like a voice right it is no, it isn't. It isn't anything tangible. It isn't like oh, I got goosebumps or mm. I heard a voice. There's nothing, nothing really about the five senses that that mm. I can explain. But it's okay. You're a writer, so you'll get this. It's kind of like you know when you're writing, you're writing, you're working on a project, and you just get it. Mm. It's just perfect, and you know. Oh, I nailed it. That's, that's it. That's, that's how it should be written. And that's perfect. And there's no editor on earth who could change those words. Yeah. It feels a little bit like that. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. I always say getting signs, like sometimes people doubt, like, is this for me? Is this the sign that, you know, I was supposed to get it? 
I always say like, it's like falling in love. Like you just know, like when it feels like that was definitely for me, it was not a coincidence. It's just a feeling. It's not like, yeah, anything of the five senses. It's just that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. How's your daughter doing? She's doing fine. So she's one of the very, very lucky ones. She's had absolutely no, since that first revision, she's Mm. had no more revisions. She's had no trauma to look at her and to interact with her you would not know that she has a shunt. Wow. Wow. Oh, how wonderful. That's awesome. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And the woman who went with you, do you happen to know if if what that woman told her was accurate? No, we we did not share our stories. I think Mm. we were both a little bit, yeah, it it was strange. And then she actually went back to school too. She wound up moving to, I think, Colorado. And I moved up to L.A., was back in school, whatever we went on with our lives. And then when I was 40, Paul threw a big surprise birthday party for me, and he Aww. just contacted everybody, everybody. Aww. And she, she wound up coming to the party. Oh, how nice. And I know. And she had not gone back to school. And even though she had planned to, she was going to. And so we had this long talk and I said, you know, if you had gone back when I did, you would now be licensed too. Because by that time, you know, it was 10 years later, I was already, I was licensed, I was practicing, I had a private practice and I was also teaching at the university. And so she said, well, I'm going to do it now. (laughs) Yeah, she did. She went back to school. Yeah. Oh, it's never too late. Oh, I love it. Never too late. Never too late. As a therapist, what would you say to someone who, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they are in pain and there's grief. And and sometimes I wonder, you know, it, is, this, is this okay? Like, is this okay to look for signs if it brings you comfort? You know, um, yeah, I think, is it, is, is, it, is it okay to pray if you're yeah. looking for comfort? <laughs> no, oh, like there's that. nobody in the world who would say that's not. That's not okay. But to me, it's the same thing. You know, it's, um, yeah, find comfort, you know, any healthy way you can. Mm-hmm. And um, our thoughts and our feelings are so intertwined. And the way the brain works is so magical. So people who are trained in narrative therapy believe that we tell ourselves stories about our lives and about who we are and about how we should interact with other people and how we should be in our lives. And to change the things that are wrong or causing pain in your life, you have to change the story. You have to rewrite the narration of your life. Mm. Oh, I like that. And it's wonderful. I've, I've seen it demonstrated a number of times. And I taught um, at Cal State Northridge, I taught the clinical class in counseling and interviewing. And I used to get people from different orientations, different therapeutic orientations to come and do demos in the class with the students. And I had a couple of times I had a narrative therapist come in. And it's always really remarkable and, and, and potent when somebody gets the feeling that, oh, I've been telling myself a bad story about who I am. Right, right. <laughs> I can rewrite this. And yeah, I I love that. I love that idea that we can change how we feel and what we do by how we think. So yeah, if you think that you're, you're making a connection 
with someone who's gone on and you and you know to, to whatever degree is healthy mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. um, you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a good idea to turn your you know turn your decision making over to a ghost if mm-hmm. you you know if you think there's mm-hmm. a ghost around but you know what's the harm what's the harm if it's if if these are these beliefs give you some comfort. Right, right. I agree. And I also feel like I love that, that changing the story. So I'm so, you know, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm so terrified of my mom passing. She's 74, but it's going to happen eventually. And I talk to her Mm. every day. And so I feel like if, if I were to, to use that concept, so like when the time does come and I don't get to call her on the phone, if I talked to her every day and like maybe wrote it down instead of telling this myself the story that she's no longer here and that's painful it could be the story that she's still here we still talk it's just different that's a different story would it be like that yeah yeah that sounds like a a perfect example and I I remember when when my mother-in-law died my husband gave um, a li- he didn't do a eulogy, but we were at the cemetery and everybody was around and everybody was saying a few words. And what he said was just that he he's not a believer. He doesn't he, he doesn't have like a, a firm belief. I, I would say he's agnostic. He doesn't have mm-hmm. a firm belief in God and he doesn't have a belief in in much mm-hmm. that isn't that he can't see and feel and touch. He's, he's mm-hmm. a very practical guy. But he said he does believe in physics mm-hmm. and you can't kill energy. You, it, it, you know, can't destroy energy. It just transforms. So he went on to say that, you know, she's still here. She's still with us. Her energy is still with us. Mm-hmm. It's just a little more disorganized. It isn't uh, organized it, into a body and a, you know, person. It's, right. it's you know, yeah. it's the energy that's out there, you know, floating all around and the molecules and the cells and whatever in different now, now being formed by the universe in different forms. Yes. And so not organized as her, and which was perfect for her because she was a very disorganized <laughs> person. <laughs> so it was, oh, kind, you know, it. It was kind of lighthearted and yeah, mm-hmm. it was lighthearted and, and it, you know, everybody laughed a little bit. And, and I think that was his way of, you know, kind of believing that, yeah, she's, she's still here. She's just in another form. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you okay. so much for doing this. And at some point I would love to have you back because I want to ask you so much more and you're just awesome and so cool to talk to. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank so you. So, well, thank you for inviting me. Of it was course. so much fun to talk to you. Of and course. don't worry. Don't worry about your mom. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's <laughs> what I need to on an adventure. Oh. You know, we're all on an adventure. Yeah. Um, I, I will tell you a couple of times in my life, I've been lucky enough to go to, uh, do you know what a dark place is on the earth? Mm-mm, no. Okay. It's, it's a completely, it's a like out in the middle of the desert. And I oh. did this in Jordan and I've done it in Nicaragua too, oh, where wow. you're, there's, there's no light allowed at all. It's, it's, they, they don't, they allow, um, I think it's a red beam flashlight or something. So you can, you know, see where you're walking and you don't, get hurt mm. but there's no light in the in the compound at all so it's completely dark oh, wow. and the purpose of it is so that you can see the stars 
I've done it twice and I, I did it once out in the ocean, but I was on a, I was on a boat. So it wasn't as dark. And I want to tell you, there are so many stars not visible to us. Yeah. And each star of the universe. And there's so much out there that we don't know. Yes. You know, that, yeah. that exists and, and is working according to plan. And this is just a little tiny, teeny tiny particle of it. We are yes. just little tiny specks. Yes. And our job is to be good to each other and love each other and be kind and make the most of this. We'll feel it when it's right. We'll feel it when it's good. Yes. Amen. Oh, I love it. What a life you've led in Jordan and Nicaragua. <laughs> like, oh my God, Corey, you're so cool. Thank you. I love okay, it. sweetie, please invite me back. I'd love to talk to you again. I will. Thank you so much. And that's a great way to end. That's so comforting to me because there's so much, there's so much worry in the not knowing, but the way, the way you phrased it is there's so much we don't know. And that's, what's comforting, which I love. I love it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to signs from the other side. You can find me Fern Rone on all social media at Fern Rone, R-O-N-A-Y. I love hearing from you and I love hearing your stories of signs. And if you would like to hear more episodes of this show, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Please also don't forget to join my Facebook group, Believers in Signs. And if you're ever looking for something to read, check out Better in the Morning and Better Believe It. Thank you so much again for listening and sweet dreams.